So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. Yeah, so on Facebook, um, it's simply Folk on Falcons. You'll see our picture. And on Twitter, it is at Folk on Falcons with the same picture. So for once, we're talking about some good news. But before that, Ian might not be able to remember it because he's currently got a concussion. So if he sounds any thicker than usual, it's probably because the grey matter is working even slower than with the normal situation. Probably an improvement, actually. Might might have knocked some things into uh, more of an order, but uh, it's all right. I, I won't be any worse than I normally am. I'll stumble my way through like I do every week. Go on, name and shame the opposite man. Who did it to you? Oh, I don't know. That's a point. I can't remember. Some big bloke who tipped me over on my head in a rock. That's all I remember. And after that, it was pretty pretty blurry for about five, ten minutes. But uh, I don't want to talk too much about it because, you know, the day, day and age of now... Uh, you know, protocols of head injuries. I think I'll keep quiet because I don't think I have was. Say a good example by staying on for the rest of the half, but never mind, I'll brush that under the carpet. So if we go back to the, the main match in hand this weekend, um, I don't know quite how we can go from such a poor performance against Bath one week when we've got all the fans to going back down the country to the southwest and having one of the best halves of rugby that I can remember as a Falcons fan in quite a long time. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the only complaint is that I wish it was at home, I guess, really, don't you? I mean, uh, but yeah, it was absolutely brilliant that first half. I mean, wonderful flowing attacking rugby was so clinical. And it we can, it was kind of a microcosm of everything that we can do right when, when we do get things right with ball in hand. You have Radwan, Wonder Try, which we know we can do at any time. We have, you know, Stanley McGuigan, you know, from the back of a mall. And I thought, actually... Um, I thought Chicks was really, really good because he had a hell of a lot to do for, for that try and, and he did it. And he, and he was very convinced of doing it as well. I think once he had ball in hand, you knew it was only it was only going to go one way. And that kind of showed that everything that we can get right did go right. And, it, and it's a real marker for, the, for every other game to show that, you know, we are capable of these things. And it was just a joy to watch that first half. Yeah, um, I think one of the things that we've banged on about recently is when we've gone to the 20 opponents 22 we've more often than not come away with nothing but this week in the first half hour we must have been there maybe five or six times we came away with three tries and a penalty which I think just shows what taking your chances actually means to a scoreboard Gloucester by all means took their chance just before half time but then they had kind of a, a Falcons phase in the second half when they were playing against 13 men for all too long of it and couldn't quite get over for the to win it but in true Falcons style, we didn't want it to make it too easy for ourselves and kept it nice and exciting. But um, overall, it's a performance that you just got to think, thank goodness it came when it did, because we knew it's been there, and hopefully it's the start of something new in the, the rest of the season. Yeah, well, I mean, the second half was sort of the flicker side of that in terms of it showed, we kind of showed the defensive steel, even, as you say, as you know, like we often do, made things hard for ourselves with all the sim binnings. But credit to the 13 who were on... For the majority of the time, you know, we held out, we did what needed to be done, even if you had no fingers left but by the end of the match. Um, but I think the the warning is, you know, we know what happened away to Exeter last year and we know what happened after that. Again, this is kind of similar, a really good away win and a deserved away win as well against a really, really top team. Um, and we, we, we can't not build on that. We have, like I said, for it's a marker. We need to, we need to kind of continue that. We need to do that at home more. Um, I mean, it, I think that's the challenge going forward. And I know that's been repeated by by Dave Ward and coaches in the past. But unlike last year, well, we do need to kick on. Um, and it's nice to look at the table for once and see us in sort of dizzy heights in ninth. 
Um, and I think actually, I know we really won two games, but on the balance of last week, you know, we didn't look like a team that should be bottom of the league. And we showed that we we shouldn't be a team that's bottom of the league if we can't put more performances like that in regularly. And it's just it's just really nice to see. Also, what was nice to see is at the start of the match, um, out of the six front rows on the pitch, five had Newcastle Falcons affiliation. Obviously, Cicino was there for Gloucester, but also um, Balmain was an academy uh, graduate, although he graduated into not the Falcons' uh, first team. Obviously, he went down to Southwest, but it just shows um, once again how good the academy is. And also, on our team, we had um, Mr. Pepper in the back row who did absolutely no disservice to himself with, I think, a fantastic performance. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely great debut performance and a dream debut in terms of the result for him. Um, and we've said this before over the the past couple of years that we do actually, especially in the forwards, have some really, really good talent coming through and players who have sort of slipped into positions sort of at a late notice or because of injury or whatever it may be and have not done a disservice at all and just haven't looked out of place. And Pepper is obviously another one off the off the conveyor belt that, that we can use no matter you know what the situation and obviously that that's a great strength. Yep, and then just behind the scrum at Scrum half, we had another academy boy, Mickey Young. It's quite a while since he's been in the academy, but um, I think he played one of his best games I've seen for a long time. He looked for, at times like a, a sprightly young running scrum half. And um, I don't know what he had breakfast that morning, but he needs to have it more often because it just suddenly looked like he's wound the clock back 10 years. Excellent game. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as much as you can have sort of assist in rugby, he sort of gave the assist for Chick's try, didn't he? I mean, obviously, Chick had a lot of work to do, but um, it, it was all kind of started by him. And yeah, I agree. He probably put in his best performance for a very long time, possibly since, well, it is a good company this game. I remember that home game against Sale where he completely dominated um, after Clerk, didn't he? And it was almost almost sort of that levels, really. Um, it could have just been one of those days where everything clicked for us and people even like Mickey Young kind of were playing at absolute top levels. And, you know, I guess to get a win at Gloucester, all those things have to kind of go in your favour. Well, another thing that has to be said is when you say all things clicked, um, Brett Conlon, he's not always been the most reliable with his boots in the past, but not a problem on Saturday. Uh, five out of five, and they weren't all straightforward ones either. So um, at the end of the match, when you look at the score, but you think, well, thank goodness he had his kicking boots with him because it certainly made a difference. Yeah, and it's nice for um, one of these results where it can be tight and it is going to our favour because we have been consistent, you know, we're picking off the tee in a game. Um, again, it, it's kind of going back to what I said before, where we've set the marker down, both as a team and individual levels. challenge now is to carry that on, especially please at home, because we would love to see that performances like that, both as our team and individual performances at that level at Kingston Park more regularly. Yeah, and then um, outside 10, it got a bit interesting with the, the backs that we had out, because obviously international call-ups, injuries, whatever you want to call it. Um, we ended up with quite a makeshift backline. It actually functioned reasonably well. We had Penny at 12, obviously not his natural position. We had Ben Stevenson at 13, and I think someone's had a word with Ben Stevenson about his defence because he was defending into out, not turning his shoulders in, as I've criticised him for in the past, and um, we looked quite strong in defence. Then out on the wings, we had Radwan with a, another one of his specials, and Oyotinbo at fullback, who he's got a bit of the... Um, a cocky cocky about him, I think, and that he always just seems to slither through the first tackle. When you look at him, he's he's not a small man, but he's quite slightly built. But he's got kind of this sort of ability just to get halfway through a tackle that he doesn't doesn't have the right to get through and make the extra yard or two to get the defence on the back foot. Yeah, I mean, with Odetimbo, it'd be interesting to see what happens with him, actually. 
because um, as, as we know, he's he's on loan from the Saracens, I think, until January. Is that right? Around about then. So I guess is there a decision to be made for the club? Because I think he has impressed um, in his time. I know this is he's mainly sort of had Premiership Rugby Cup games. And is this his first start in the league? I think it may have been. Last week um, he played as well. Last week he started. Oh, yeah, okay. So he's had a couple of starts in the league. Um, and I don't think he's done a disservice. I mean, uh, obviously Bath game was very poor, but you can know, obviously it's not necessarily anything to do with him. But um, I think there's a decision to be made there, whether they can extend that. But obviously it depends on what Saracens want to do and whether once we do get our internationals back, if there's a need to to have him there. But it's interesting. I think it, as a loan signing, it has worked. Certainly has. Um, other things that worked was giving the ball to Radwan and letting them have a run at them because once again, oh, Carreras is not going to win try of the week. So I think Radwan will, and that's two weeks in a row, he scored an absolute cracker, obviously flying finish last weekend. And then this week, he just got the ball until he run around the whole of the back line. And um, once again, he just showed what pace he's got and the fact that he's been very hard done by just to be thrown in and out of an England squad to hold some tackle bags early every week. And he's still probably, I'd say, the best finisher in the country as far as backs go. Yeah, well, it's good to see that he's starting to get some form back. And obviously him scoring tries is going to build it on that and his confidence. But, you know, we all know it's obviously preaching to the choir here in terms of if he does get a bit of space, then you know what's going to happen. He's having a score. We've all come very close to scoring. Or he's going to make opposition players and fans very, very worried. And, you know, the more he can kind of replicate this form and, and obviously score tries, the more we can get back to the absolute blistering form he had a couple of seasons ago, which really put him in the limelight. And we all know he's capable of that. I just think both in terms of his form and in terms of the team, if they can give him that space, we know that more often than not, he's going to cause trouble. Um, so, yeah, again, you know, let us hope we can kind of be consistent in that and giving him good possession and space and opportunity to do score for us. Yeah, um, there are a few other good parts of the game which I think need mentioning. Um, one was it was nice to see a line-out move work for once. Um, I, I do like a set piece that comes off. And as you've already mentioned, Callum Chick's try was a bit of clever play at the front of the line-out with, I think it was Moa Polar at the front and it was a little get it back down down the short side and pop it inside to Callum Chick who bundled over. Um, a couple of other things to note. Um, one was that McGuigan's got everything in his locker. He did a... 30-yard kick to touch one point, which beautiful to see. And it was nice to show the backs that you can actually kick the ball into touch and not just hoof it aimlessly down the middle. But I think then after, shortly after that, the backs got into the habit of hoofing it aimlessly down the middle. So they might have been telling McGuigan that they've got a certain set play that they need to focus on. I don't know. Um, another good part was at the very end of the match, um, Sam Stewart won the penalty and he heard the whistle and jumped up to hug the nearest person to him. And he actually ended up hugging the referee, which um bit of, bit of a funny one. He quickly let go of him, but... Um, I think he was the only person in the Falcons camp who would have been hugging the referee after that because although the afternoon, I wouldn't say, was completely overshadowed by refereeing decisions, I think that had we come away with that without the, the four points, then um, we would have quite rightly felt somewhat aggrieved at some of the decisions that had been made. Um, a few uh, bugbears of mine that are beginning to come into the game. Um, it seems that at a rook, the ball never comes out anymore, even if the player who's back footed's not behind is off their feet. And I may be wrong, listeners correct me if I'm wrong, but is a ball not only within a ruck when it's not gone past the backmost foot of a player in the ruck, i.e. a player on their feet? The amount of times you see a player on their knees or with their hands on the ground and the ball at their back foot for an age and the referee saying it's not out, I think that that's a misinterpretation of the rules. And if everyone wants to speed the game up and make it appealing, you need to do everything you can to say the ball's out, get on with it. 
I think you see more of a trend now in the past few years of of defences really kind of challenging in rooks, um, sort of really like dying at the top of the ball legally or Ill- illegally, and, and obviously trying to slow it down or at least attempting to do that. The flip side of that is, well, a couple of side effects that is either, you know, they get penalised for it or they don't and, and they slow it down and, and you start to see a lot of turnovers at rooks, I think, which perhaps you didn't see before. I think traditionally if there was more kind of leaving it, and more sort of cleaner ball at Rooks. But now I think it seems to be more of a battle down and the breakdown really in terms of Rooks. I think that's kind of developed, over the, at least uh, my opinion, I think that's kind of developed more the past few years or so. It just seems to be much more of a challenge in the Rooks. And that does cause some of the issues I think you've listed there. And then the other one that's, um, oh, a couple more that would be under Normie. Um, during the match, we obviously conceded four yellow cards in the second half, which we need to move on to. But three of them were because of offences within the, the mall. And for all, we score a lot of points through the driving mall. It's beginning to annoy me a bit, the refereeing of a mall. It seems it's so heavily biased in the attacking team's favour now that as a defending side, if you concede a line-out within 10 metres of your own line, you're either going to give away a penalty, a simbin, or a penalty try, or a normal try. And that seemed invariably what happened. And a lot of the time, the mall was going down because someone lost their balance, then the mall piled over the top and everyone fell down. But there's a time in the second half when one of the Gloucester players fell down the mall and it collapsed, and the referee just said, oh, well, here's a scrum to the Falcons now because the ball stayed in there. And I'm sorry, but there's nothing in the laws saying that if someone falls over, if they're a defender, it's a penalty or a yellow card, and if they're an attacker, it's just kind of play on. And it just seems there's kind of one-eyed officiating during a mall. I think we benefit from it as well at times. But also, um, the amount of times that attacking players change their bind quite obviously at the back of a mall. Whereas when a defending player changes their bind, they're suddenly told to get out and join from the back again. It just seems that the refereeing is teed up so that there will be a score or a penalty of, of some nature. Yeah, I think that's a really good point in terms of how do you legally stop a driving mall nowadays? Because like you say, there is so much bias on the attacking team and if there is any offence of any sort is the assumption is that it's been a sort of deliberate offence against the attacking team because as you say you could have an accidental collapse yes you know technically you have collapsed it and perhaps that is a penalty but should that be a yellow card if it's not deliberate probably not but yeah that, that's what we're seeing or even penalty tries when it, it has been non-deliberate um and I've, and it's a good point because as a defence you know you're relying on the attacking team to be deficient rather than you having a really good defence at times. And surely that, that's just not fair. Um, so it does raise a question, an important question, as you say, so how, how do you stop driving malls now? And it, it is a really tough one. And I've, I'm not quite sure how you answer that really, apart from, like you say, um, you know, does it depend on just the attacking team being deficient or the attacking team maybe being caught, changing their bind and they can then carry out an offence? But you don't tend to see that very often. I guess there are a couple of ways you can stop it. One is just, push harder, which is easier said than done. The other is just to drive them towards the line. But um, I also think that too often referees basically let the attackers line up, get ready, and then drive whenever they want to, When the, in my eyes, the mall stationary, but that's a different one for another day. But um, the easiest way to stop a mall is not to form it and don't engage. Um, you see it very occasionally, a team stand off and then kind of one of these funny situations where you've got a load of players not wanting to be offside, but then no one's tackling them. It's kind of a a bit of a deadlock. But I think it's if you're not going to challenge in the line-out, standing off is probably the easiest way to defend a mall because it suddenly means that they've got to go and have a normal tackle. And with the pre-bind laws now, 
I'm not sure if it's just from a rock, I might have to go and check the law book, but if there's just one of you in there, you can collapse it. And I think it's probably the easiest way, but it's very seldom used. I mean, maybe it's one of those things that's quite difficult to sort of successfully pull off because I suppose you'd have to get it exactly right for it to work and you know our team is willing to kind of risk that I suppose I mean they'll have their set drills for how you try and defend these or you know both in walls and and you know we've seen it before standing off in rucks and not committing to rucks like that too um I, I guess it's maybe just too much of a risk and the teams don't want to do it but you know you're right it, it is there to be used and we have seen it used you know, quite amusingly down the years at times, but you just, I think because it's so sort of unusual, you just kind of don't see it really at the top level and when stakes are so high, because I think it was ridiculous and it didn't work really. And then what you said, the word there, ridiculous, one thing that I'm beginning to find ridiculous, the length of advantages now in professional, you don't see it so much at the amateur level. Normally at the amateur level, it's kind of referees got their head screwed on, an advantage doesn't last for about 15 minutes. But it seems now that if there's a penalty advantage anywhere on the pitch, it's just interminable. It, it never ends unless perhaps one runs 80 yards, whereas at the amateur level, it's kind of a, you get a good three or four goes at it and then you then you just keep playing. But at the professional level, that just seems to last forever. Well, yeah, you can get teams sort of halfway down the pitch before the whistle's blown for it to go back or or they're stuck there doing about 20 phases side to side or whatever. Or we didn't even need to necessarily go any forward. As you say, it's the, the kind of time elapsed. They don't even necessarily have to make much distance. And you're right at the amateur level, you may have a couple of phases or something until someone drops it or whatever. But but generally, you know, it is only a couple of phases or so. And then you get a clear idea of whether any advantage is going on or the referee blows. And that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, that's what it is. You see if there's the advantage or not. But you're right. Professional level, it does. It can go on for, well, I won't, literally several, several seconds, um, which is far too many seconds than it, it should be, really. Because I think even, I remember a few weeks ago watching it, Kingston Park, oh, I can't remember whose advantage it was, but there was one where I mean, the team had a, given the advantage about the halfway line, and they went down about the 22, and then the blown, obviously they knocked it on or something, and it was blown back to go back the halfway, and there was a good good several phases of play before they blew back to go to advantage where, you know, they've been playing for so long and they've got a good amount of distance and they just lost it. But yeah, it, that is a, definitely a trend that you're starting to see now. Yeah, except if you make a young making a break and the referee blows you up straight away, as happened at the weekend when he was clean through, for some reason it was pulled back. I, I think it's because the TMO had shouted to the referee to blow it as a penalty and the referee got excited and forgot that there was actually an advantage there as Mickey Young ran into an acre of space with no one near him. Yeah, so if we just move on to the, the second half, obviously obviously in the second half, um, we did make it difficult for ourselves, but at times we had 13 men on the pitch for, for about three quarters of the second half, we had at least 14, if not 13. And at times we were defending with 12 and people were down with carrying a knock or something. And it was a Herculean effort. And I think that to a man, every single one of them, really showed that they had the guts and the desire to win, which perhaps we doubted in the previous week. Well, I think they just kind of did the defensive basis, didn't they? They didn't give much in terms of the gain line. They made the tackles, and that's really all you can do at a basic level in the defence, especially so if you're a man or two men down in our case at several points. Um, you know, you need everyone to do their job, and quite simply they did. And even though we were men down, the defence came on top, and you literally cannot ask, more than that, when your hands are, you know, on the pump and you're desperately trying to hold on to a lead. So, yeah, exactly right. Credit to all of them. Very much so. So, 
if we look forward to the, the next few weeks, um, obviously next week it's not a league match. We've got the Premiership Cup match against Northampton. If we win that, then we're in a pretty good position in the Premiership Cup campaign. So um, let's hope we do. And then following that, there's um, a match against Exeter, which hasn't been um, scheduled with the, the biggest brain box doing the fixture list, I don't think. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, we'll, we'll touch on the Northampton game. As you say, it's in the Premiership Cup. I think it's still in our hands. If we do win that, we can still yeah, we can still get through the next round. So it's all to play for. And obviously, we are at home. Didn't do particularly well away to Northampton in this competition not so long ago. But, I mean, you know, in many ways, it's such a lottery, this competition. And we have shown that we can actually win games in it. And we, we know that we do have the, the players who can perform in this competition. So... You know, let's just hope it's an entertaining game of rugby, which obviously goes in our favour. The extra one, you know, exactly right. I'm not, you know, who came up with Friday evening kickoff when they obviously got the Football World Cup. Sorry, England would play USA in the World Cup. Absolutely bizarre that anyone would, they would pick that as a as the date to play Exeter that weekend. I mean, all right, you know, long suffering season ticket holders will go along, and I suppose some of us will, you know, watch it on our, watch the England game on our phones. But I mean, you know, if you're trying to retract, crowds on a Friday night, then perhaps having a clash with you know, an England World Cup game probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world. But yeah, so perhaps we shouldn't expect the biggest crowd for that one. Indeed. And um, if we just go look back to the Premiership Rugby Cup, you, you're quite right in that um, qualification is still possible. But um, it would seem that Worcester and Wasps have now been expunged from the competition's history, which makes the league and seeding system incredibly odd because... Um, initially, it was meant to be the top-positioned team in each group um, went three semi-finals plus the best second place. But oh, and, and the leagues are—it's one of these funny things where you got three different pools, and there's going to be five teams in the first pool, which I think contained Worcester, and then four teams in the other two pools. But because of those matches being wiped from the record, we're going to end up with second place teams having played different number of games to each other. So this match is going to be Northampton's final match, now final match. But after our final match, we'll have. Um, played three and they'll have played four so if we win this match we'll have eight points from three games they'll have 12 points from four games so are they going to do a points per game sort of calculation or some other bizarre sum and if you look at the, the, the other group and you've got the teams that have been unfortunate enough to play Wasps and Worcester it, it's just um, let's put it mildly a bit of a something show I mean, I guess half the fun will be seeing how they sort of work out how the qualification works, really. Um, obviously, very much unprecedented, but I guess your guess is as good as mine as to how they're going to... You could have almost sort of a Duckworth-Lewis system, couldn't you have? Or, like you say, points points per match or or points difference score or something to, to try and try and sort of get teams to qualify. But, yeah, absolutely bizarre, really. I guess we'll just have to wait for some sort of official word. But at the end of the time, you know, at the end of the day, rather, you know, we have to win... I think to have a chance is that right? I mean, I know obviously the Watson must have gone, but I think we still have to win, really. So, you know, for us, we know what we have to do to stand a chance, and that's win. So, you know, got to do that first and foremost. Yeah, it's dead simple what they'll do. They'll just make sure Saracens get through. So normally yeah, happens. Of course, obviously, obviously, yeah. Anyway, obviously a reasonable amount of other rugby played this weekend. Um, there was also the Rugby League semi-final, which I was fortunate enough to go to. So I watched the Falcons match back later on, but um, that one didn't finish quite how we wanted it with the, obviously, last-minute drop goal, but it was quite a spectacle. And it was also nice to see that um, the 
rugby league um, fans down in London. A lot of them are coming for their big day out. And um, yeah, it was really nice to see the, the kind of the rugby league sort of people on the tree because it's not the normal sort you see going up to the Emirates on a Saturday afternoon. And then following that, it was quite good fun because I went to watch a Newcastle United match in a pub in central London. And whilst I was in the pub, I bumped into a couple of chaps on the table next. We never met them before. And they had two spare tickets to the Barbarians versus All Blacks um, on Sunday. So before I know it, they're giving me the spare tickets, refusing any sort of payment in a lieu apart from beer. And there we are, I've got some tickets. So thank you very much to Mr. Idle and his um, friend who sought me out then. Um, very grateful. And if you're listening, thank you. Well, I guess we've got to touch on it, the internationals. I'm not eating humble pie. England did hammer Japan, as we expected. And then suddenly Eddie Jones seems to be regarded as a, a genius again. But when you put the national press to one side, if you know anything about rugby, you know that the next two weeks coming up, it's going to be a completely different kettle of fish. Well, yeah, they were talking about, oh, this is a confidence boost England needs. And, you know, sort of not really. You know, yeah. I mean, Japan, I suppose, you know, that they're no mugs and, you know, we know that they can cause problems. But, you know, it was always only going to go one way. And it was a case of kind of how many rather than the result. Um, and it was very much, I mean, I actually saw about that last half an hour or so when I got back in from playing myself, I'm not going to remember. Um, and it was a procession. Uh, I mean, it was just, and like I said, it was a case of how many England were going to get, really. But as you say, it's going to very much be a harder test coming up for England. I think, you know, we can kind of put what little excitement there was over the win over Japan to, to one side, firmly to one side. Yes, very much so. I think anyone that's followed England over the last few years will certainly be aware that a victory over Japan certainly doesn't mean that we're steadying the ship. Elsewhere in the internationals, there was quite a bit of um, excitement. Um, Scotland fans getting their hopes but up, but then the inevitable happened against New Zealand. And um, a cracking game between France and South Africa, where we had um, a couple of red cards and absolutely cracking finish. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think it's got me... The pick game from the weekend, really, France of Africa. I mean, even think even on paper, that was always going to be the the sort of best looking one. And I think that's what it turned out to be, really. Uh, we got to think those are two teams that I think. Am I right? Potentially thinking they could come up against each other in the quarterfinal of the World Cup. So um, that could be obviously a really good one to watch. It's almost a warm up for that, really. I think, isn't it? Um, um, yeah, I mean, both very different teams. I think, aren't they, in terms of, sort of style of how they go about things? But. Um, Fascinating watch, and that's kind of what it turned out to be. I mean, red cards aside, um, it was sort of really entertaining stuff. And I, like I say, I think that was really the pick of the weekend. Yeah, it was also quite interesting in that match that France had a substitute on the bench that everybody assumed as a back rower. If you watch a bit of French rugby, you know that he also plays on the wing and or can play on the wing. And um, everybody was expecting a, a, a fly half or somebody to come onto the pitch. And then, nope, we'll stick the back rower on the wing and... He certainly um, it was an interesting matchup between him and Colby. I wonder if Eddie Jones is watching and thinking of any more reasons that he can't select Radwan. Um, so, I mean, putting our Falcons hat on when we got an international, you won't go through every international game coming up. But um, like I say, we'll concentrate on the ones where our players are playing in. So if we start with England, so news as of today with Radwan and Sean Robinson being called up to the squad for the game against New Zealand. We'll see if they're just, you know, holding the tackle bags all week or if they do actually get involved in the squad. We'll have to wait, obviously, for later on in the week. But, you know, all be said, you know, well done for that call-up. It's nice to see Radwan back in the mix for, for that. And I guess we also hope that Robinson can get some game time for England because you know, I think we're all desperate to see that really, really deserves it. Our three Argentinian amigos, of course, will feature... Argentina one way or another um, against Scotland. 
Um, disappointing result there, I think, actually, uh, against Wales. They sort of they showed what they could do against England, or albeit against England team not playing well, but they just didn't perform to anywhere near that levels against Wales, which was obviously very disappointing, but it's surprising as well. Um, I think the last one is Peterson playing for the United States in their World Cup qualifier, as in like, this is it, final World Cup qualifier against Portugal. So the way that competition has worked is that there's been a pool of the United States Portugal, Kenya and Hong Kong, they've all kind of played each other like a round robin and the top two from that pool play in the final. And that final is the United States against Portugal. I suppose you would expect the United States to win that. So we would expect Peterson to play in the World Cup, but obviously good luck to him with that. And again, our Falcons hats on. And I think that's it, isn't it, for our Falcons internationals to keep an eye on this weekend? Yep, unless anybody getting called up for bizarre countries, I don't know the nationality of them. Um, That's right. So, if we move on into the weekly roundup, um, we'll start with the Premiership. On Friday night, Bath pipped Leicester by a point. Very strange that Bath, who languished in bottom of the league, and we thought we were very lucky to get a losing bonus point to last week when we played poorly, ended up beating last season's champions. It's a very strange season this year. That was 19 points to 18 at the rec. Then on Saturday, um, obviously, we beat Gloucester 27 points to 21 down at Kingshub. And at Sandy Park, Exeter came out 22 points to 17 victors over London Irish. On Sunday, Saracens won against Northampton, an extremely high-scoring affair, 45 points to 39 down in London. And it's interesting to note that, once again, um, the losing bonus points left, right and centre. So every match this week was a five-point game, if not six, depending on the number of tries scored. So who says rugby's boring these days? So that leaves the Premiership table as follows. Saracens out in first, 100% record still, 43 points, 9 out of 9. Sale in second on 28, Northampton on 24, Harlequins on 22, Gloucester on 21, Exeter on 20, Leicester and Bath both on 17. We're now in in ninth with 13 also with Bristol there. And then in last place, we've got London Irish on 10 points. Our next away game is down at London Irish, I think on the 3rd of December, if my memory serves me correctly. So um, we've got all to play for in that game, and we're looking up the table. If we go around the regional teams, in National League 1, Dalton Madden Park beat Taunton 40 points to 13. League 2 North, there were matches for both Bladen and Tyndale, who lost to Otley and Sedgley Park, respectively. Very good positions in... Regional 1 Northeast for our teams. We've got Billingham in first position um, after beating 29 points to, sorry, after beating Sandal away, 29 points to 19. And Anik are doing incredibly well in that league, 32 points to 12 winners away at West Bridgeford. Within Regional 2 North, their victories for Durham City over West Patriot, Morpeth over Keswick, Middlesbrough over Percy Park, Northern over Concert, Penrith over Carlisle, and South Shield West over Stockton. In Durham, Northumberland, Division 1, uh, a draw between Hartlepool and Medicals. Horden and Peter Lee beat Hartlepool Rovers. Novos beat Gisborough. Ponceal beat Darlington. Sunderland beat Acklam and West Hartlepool. Heavily beat Whitley Bay Rockcliffe. Durham, Northumberland, 2. Redcar did a number on South Shields. Wrighton beat Gateshead. Sam lost heavily at home to Bishop of Auckland. Sedgefield beat Barnard Castle. Wallsend lost to Ashington. And Whitby beat Winlayton Vulcans. And then score of the week has to go to Houghton, who beat Jerovians 129-0 away. Um, 
not quite sure what goes on during Northumberland 3, but obviously you do get these very one-sided games, but scoring 129 points is no mean feat. Um, Fuller Stocksville got beaten heavily by Gosforth. Seton Crew beat Dons Madden Park Elizabethans by a point, and Blythe came out victors over Seg Hill. So I think that rounds things up, and I can see Ian at the other end of this Zoom call. If you're wondering, Zoom's how I record these things. It's not always in person. He's sitting there rubbing his head, eyeballs going either way, and little cuckoo clock and things by him. So um, I think it's time to say thank you for listening, everybody, and cheerio. Bye, everyone.